0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, O God, Amen. Our Bible study tonight is Psalm 90. Each Psalm has a title. The title of this Psalm is A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. And according to the title, this Psalm is written by Moses, the prophet and all other translation versions ascribe this psalm to Moses Some commentators think this was not the prophet Moses claiming that the age of the man was not then 70 or 80 years which here is stated in verse 10 to be its almost universal limit and during the time of Moses the average age was not 70 or 80 as we read here in verse 10 the days of our life are 70 years and if by reason of strength they are 80 years so they are saying during the time of moses this was not the average that's why they say it's not moses a prophet but the evidence is much stronger for believing that this was indeed moses the great leader of israel The condition of Israel in the wilderness is so predominantly illustrative of each verse, which confirm that Moses is the author. Also, the expressions and words are so similar to many in the five books of Moses, especially the two songs that were written by Moses in the book of Exodus chapter 15 and the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32, as well as the blessing of the tribes of Israel in Deuteronomy 33. So if we compare these three chapters with this psalm, we will find the same spirit, the same style of writing, the same choice of words, etc. So the internal evidence is stronger than what they claim that the age of man was not 70 or 80. This is the only psalm that carries Moses' name in the 151 psalms. However, some Jewish writers ascribe the 10 following psalms which are without a title to Moses. So, there are 10 psalms has no title. And many Jewish writers said these 10 psalms that after Psalm 90 are written also by Moses. Moses in the title is called the man of God. And also in Deuteronomy 33 chapter 1, Joshua 14.6, 1 Chronicles 23.14, 2 Chronicles thirty sixteen, Azra 3.2, in all this he was described as the man of God. Moses deserved this name because he was faithful to God and was a man of more than ordinary gifts received from the Lord. He was a prophet the chief of the prophet and a great prophet so not just ordinary gift that any one of us has but moses was unique that's why he is a man of god psalm 90 is the first psalm in the fourth book of psalms and psalm 89 was the end of the third book they were divided into several books so psalm 89 was the end of the third book and psalm 90 is the beginning of the fourth book, and the fourth book is from ninety to hundred and six. And it is the oldest of the Psalm, because if it's written by Moses, Moses was before David. So this Psalm is the oldest of the Psalms. According to Saint Jerome, this Psalm is considered an introduction to the fourth book, fourth book of Psalms that has from Psalm ninety to Psalm hundred and six. And the arrangement of the Psalms into five books, they divided the book of Psalms into five books, goes back at least to the time when the Hebrew scripture was translated to Greek, which is the Septuagint translation, approximately 200 before Christ. So the arrangement of Psalms into five books goes to the time of the Septuagint translation. The theme of this Psalm is eternity of God and man's infirmity and weakness. So compare our weakness and infirmity to the eternity of God. The subject of the shortness and vanity of life, our life 70 or 80, has occupied reflective minds in all times. Many people, when they get old, when they are aging, they reflect on the vanity of the world. So after that, what? This Psalm refers the experience of the Israelites during the exodus when God punished them for their unfaithfulness and they died many many of them they died in the wilderness only two from those who came out of Egypt entered the promised land so again this was an example of the vanity of life some say it was written specifically upon the occasion of the sentence passed upon Israel in the wilderness for unbelief when they murmured and rebelled against God and when God said to Moses that they should fall in the wilderness and none of them should enter Canaan can find this story in the book of Numbers chapter 14 and verse 23 Though it seems to have been written upon this particular occasion yet it is very applicable to the weakness of human life in general and in singing it, we may easily apply it to the years of our journey through the wilderness of this world. So when reflect on this psalm, it speaks about our journey in the wilderness of this world. St. Augustine says, this psalm is entitled the prayer of Moses, the man of God, through whom his man, God, gives the law to his people. Through so Moses, God gives the law to the people through whom he freed them from the house of slavery in Egypt and led them 40 years through the wilderness. Moses was therefore the minister of the old covenant. This Psalm is 17 verse, can divide it into three sections. From verse one to six, the eternal God and the frailty of man. From seven to 12, God's judgment on their open and secret sins from 13 to 17th, earnest prayer for the restoration of Israel. So we're going to start from verse one. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. This prayer of Moses was almost certainly written during the wilderness on the way to Canaan, to the promised land. In all these years, Israel lived in constant need of refuge, shelter, protection, They are journeying in the wilderness. That's why more than their tents and their armies, Israel had God at their dwelling place. That's why in verse one he said, you have been our dwelling place, not the tents. We don't get our protection from the armies. You are our refuge and our protection. Moses begins his prayer by returning thanks for the past favors. Showing himself grateful for the past. And the word dwelling place signify a house. Well fortified. Secure from all harm of enemies. From the wild beast rain and winds. So God is our dwelling place. And he addresses God by the title which designate him. As ruler of the world. When he said to him. Oh Lord you have been our dwelling place. In all generations. All generations. Moses understood that the Lord has been Israel's dwelling place for all generations, thus reminding God that their relationship is a long-standing relationship. That's why it is deserving special consideration. God's help to his people did not begin with the exodus from Egypt, but from their pilgrim beginnings under their patriarch Abraham to the days of Moses in all generations. And it started even before abraham started from the time of adam but if we speak about israel we can say from abraham because he is the grandfather of israel so god had been their dwelling place the refuge and their protection from the time of abraham until the time of moses and all generations verse 2 before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth the world and the world Even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So verse 2 about the eternity of God. He proves that the very same God might have been a refuge to those who hoped in him at all times. He is always the same, powerful, wise, kind. God, the same God existed before all things. He first named the mountain. So Moses in this verse named the mountain. So the same God who is our refuge is the same God who is a creator. He existed even before anything in the universe existed. So in the wilderness on the way to Canaan, Moses saw the mountains, mountains of Sinai on the horizon and reflected on the truth that God existed before those mountains. It was God who formed the earth and the world who is their dwelling place. Before the mountains, mountains named the first, perhaps because they are the grandest and were regarded as the oldest part of the earth, especially they were walking in the wilderness. For the mountains being of great altitude and solidity offer men a refuge also in many ways. So he's (coughs) saying if people now take mountains as refuge, but you are our refuge, you are our dwelling place, and you existed before the mountain. Also, because the mountains form a noticeable and considerable part of the earth. And he told him from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God existed not only before the earth and the mountains, but from eternity he is and to eternity God is. Life is temporal. Everything has beginning and an end. But only God is eternal. From eternity to eternity, there is no beginning or end to God. That's why when we beg the Urbana, it is round. Because the Urbana turned to what of Christ, and God has no beginning or end. Moses did not say he has been and will be God. He didn't say you have been God or you will be God. But he said you are God. To show the true eternity of God. In which there is no past or future. That's why he did not use past tense or future tense. But one continuity of existence without any change or variety. God from everlasting to everlasting. He is loving God. Full of grace and mercy toward his people. And he has his covenant with them. Verses 3. You turn a man to destruction and say, return, O children of men. After he spoke how God is eternal, in verse 3 begins the speaking of the fragile nature of humanity. The thought in this verse is not merely that man's life is brief in contrast to the eternity of God, but it is also absolutely at his disposal, at the disposal of God you turn the man to destruction so it is god you turn the man to destruction the psalmist plainly referred to genesis chapter 3 and verse 19 when god said to adam for dust you are and to dust you shall return though moses chooses different words to emphasize his point which is man passes away but god continues ever the same when god is by any afflictions turning man to destruction when god turned us to destruction he by this mean call men to return unto him to repent of their sins so when we go through the difficult time affliction we are about to be completely destroyed actually it is a calling to return back to god and to repent when he said return O children of men so god's punishment or destruction is intended not to destroy us but to make us face the consequences of our sins so we will be inclined and return back to god and according to the targum translation destruction means death so return of children of men may refer to the resurrection of the dead so we can read it this way you turn a man to death And say, return, O children of men, means rise again Mm -hmm. in the general resurrection at the last day. If we understood it this way, this may point to the curse pronounced against Adam for his sin. You shall surely die. And the removal of that curse by Christ, now we can be risen in Christ. So in this verse, we can see both things. Death, destruction, sentence of death, and the promise of resurrection. Return, O children of men. Because God is our eternal home, He unites us to Himself saying, Come again, return, and that from come again from the destruction of sin to the restoration of penitence and the renewal of the blemished image of God so return again to repentance and renew the image of God St. Augustine interprets the same verse as a prayer that God will not suffer man to turn away from eternal things to base and fleeting desires but may give grace to the glory in God alone so according to St. Augustine this is a prayer that don't turn us to complete destruction but let us destroy things that turn our heart away from eternity and give us grace to glorify God in our life. Verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passed, unlike a watch in the night. Watch like we say first watch, second watch of the midnight hour. So having introduced the idea of God's eternal being, with no beginning and end. Moses repeated the idea in verse 4. God's eternity is so immense. That a thousand years with him. Are but as part of a day with us. Just as it happened yesterday. While everything in our life. Is dictated and controlled by time. God is not constrained by such concern. Because he is timeless as we say in the divine letter. Thousand of years are meaningless to God. While the human being, a of year are immense. Saint Peter in his letter tried to make the same point to his readers when he said one thousand year like one day for God and one day like one thousand thousand." What about the watch in the night? The Jude had three night watches. The first watch was mentioned in Lamentation chapter two, nineteen. The middle watch was mentioned in Judges chapter seven verse nineteen. And the third watch was mentioned in Exodus 14, 24 and First Samuel 11, 11. In later times, the times referred to in the New Testament, there were four watches. Because they followed the Roman style after the Romans. That's why the Lord went to the disciples in the fourth watch of the night. This according to the Roman style, as we read it in Matthew chapter 14 verse 25. So the idea here is not that such a watch in the night would seem to pass quickly but that a thousand year seemed to God not only short as day when it was passed but even as the parts of a day or the divisions of night when it was gone. So a thousand year for God not like a whole day or a whole night just a part of the night verse five you carry them away like a flood it's about us people they are like asleep in the morning they are like grass which grows up in the morning it flourishes and grows up in the evening it is cut down and withers so the point about our temporal nature is clarified in verse five and six so humans are here one day and guard tomorrow like the flowers of the grass and the images Moses uses to picture this brevity are powerful Moses compares life to a river that is hurrying without resistance into the ocean unable to stay for an instant an instant in itself that's why he said you carry them like a flood like a flood so the flood is continually flowing and who are carried away with it, they are carried away irresistibly and with a flood of waters which sweeps away all before it. Or as the world during the time of Noah was carried away with a flood. So men are carried away with a flood, yet they are like asleep. What do you mean they are asleep? They are not aware that their life is like a flood. So they don't consider their own frailty; they are blind to it. They are not aware how near they approach the end. How near they approach the end. So human life resembles a sleep because it seems to pass so fast, to accomplish so little, to be so filled with dreams and visions, none of which remain or become permanent, exactly like a sleep. Time passes unobserved by us. As it does with men asleep and when it is over, it is as nothing. You know, when we sleep, we don't feel, oh wow, it's eight hours or six hours. But if we are awake, we can feel the length of these hours. So asleep means time is passing unobserved by us. And when it's over, it's like nothing. Then he said, in the morning, they are like grass, which grows up there is nothing more permanent in man than there is in the grass or in the flower of the field as the flower are not permanent our life is not permanent We are like new grass that sprouts up but under the heat of the Sun quickly dies some understand this of the morning of the resurrection when there will be a change for the bitter a renovation with a glorified body so when he said In the morning, it flourishes and grows up, mean during the resurrection, we will be risen with the glorified body. And to show how dreadful is the life of man, he compares it to grass that in one day springs up, flowers, and then withers and perishes. So our life are so short. It is like a morning and evening against the eternal nature of God. Some take the morning and evening to be youth, morning is youth, and evening is old age, or morning can be life, evening can be death. When he said in the morning, like in the youth, in the evening, it's old age, or in the morning means life, like as it go the resurrection, in the evening, it is death. Also in the morning, it is the early part of the day, man will appear in his youth like the leafy blooming green gas and in the evening in another part of the same day it is cut down and whether he shall fall so his strength will begin to fail they grow dry and wither in old age and in death when all his bodily powers shall have been wasted some interpret cut down and withers of God's forgiveness. When he says in the evening it's cut down and withers so our sins are cut down and withers, God's forgiveness. So it's God's forgiveness of repented sin so that all the years which have been spent in them shall be utterly blotted out of his records completely erased from God's record. And according to St. Augustine we are cut down in death dried up as corpses, withered into dust and this is more awfully true of those living which merely flourish and pass without ever bringing forth actual fruit fortunately many many people they are born grow live their life never bear the fruit of the spirit and die so they flourish and pass like the flowers of the field for after the morning of this world When the night of judgment will come, they shall be cut down and cast into hell. If they did not bear the fruit of the Spirit. And unfortunately, many times we live our life as if there is no end in sight. As if we live here eternally. Such living is foolishness. Because we need to think about eternity and about our accountability to the Lord in the last day. Some see the grass here refers to the law of moses giving in the morning in the old testament in the youth of the nation of israel by god on mountain sinai and in the evening when christ came in the flesh and died on the cross and started a new covenant so the old covenant the mosaic law was cut down and withered, abolished in the evening of the time verse 7 For we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath. We are terrified. Moses goes on to talk about the frailty of humanity in light of our sins. And he points out that sins are linked to death. Which actually we said in every divine liturgy. This entered in the world by the envy of the devil. When deceived Adam to sin and God told him if you eat from this tree you shall surely die. So he started verse 7 by speaking in plural. For we have been consumed by your anger. So the change to the plural shows that Moses now speaks on behalf of the whole nation of Israel. We Israel have been consumed through your anger, and through your wrath, we have been distressed. So, from the general reflections and the general consideration of human weakness, which have previously occupied Moses, the psalmist proceed to speak particularly of the weakness and sin of himself and of his people which have brought upon them the wrath of God. So he speak now about his own personal sins and the sins of his people which brought the wrath of God upon them. So he teaches them to acknowledge the wrath of God to be the cause of all their miseries. Many people nowadays they are against the idea of punishment or the wrath of God. But here Moses a prophet who is a man of God. He is speaking about the anger of God and the wrath of God. The people of Israel must confess before God and understand that they had brought upon themselves this wrath by their sins. I like what the right thief said to his friend when he told him, we are justly punished. So it's confession acknowledgement taking responsibility of his sins and he is saying we deserve this crucifixion Saint augustine comment on this verse and says making no secret that this fate is a penalty inflicted for sin so when we sin we there is suffering comes with the sin punishment comes with it. so the rebukes and the discipline of israel are here referred to when God disciplined him. But their case in the wilderness, is the case of mankind in the world, their life in the wilderness, like our life in the wilderness of the world. And the same thing is true in them and in us. When we sin, God will discipline us in his wrath and in his anger. So double chastisement of body and soul is here said before us when he said, We have been consumed, that's the body. We are terrified, that is the soul. So body and soul, consumed and terrified. Mm -hmm. And the gradual wasting of our physical body when we age or under the harms of disease, he said in verse 6, in the morning in our youth, it flourishes and grows up. In the evening, it is cut down and others. Also the mental terror brought upon us by the thought of God's divine anger against sin that's why he said we have been consumed by your anger and by your wrath we are terrified verse 8 you have set our iniquities before you our secret sins in the light of your countenance so instead of God hiding his face from their sins he sets their sins before him and brought their sins into light, in the light of your countenance. So the light of your countenance used to denote the presence of God, a searching light from which nothing can be concealed. Maybe I can conceal some sins from my father of confession, but not before God. Even our secret sins, as he said, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, secret sins in the light of your countenance. So our secret sins means the inward sin of the heart, unseen by men, but definitely they are known to God. God is light. What can be hidden from the all-seeing eye of God? Nothing. God has judged in the case Not by external appearance or by what is seen by the world, but by what God sees in our heart. As he said to Samuel, man look to the external, but God looks to the heart. So he deals with us according to our real character. And the reference is indeed to sin, but sin is concealed, hidden, forgotten, the sin of the heart. The secret sin the sin which one tries to hide from the world and the sin which has passed away from one's own recollection so we forgot about it. that's the secret sins of the heart forgot about it and we hide it from the world so it is a concealed sin hidden sin or forgotten sin verse 9 for all our days have passed away in your wrath we finish our years Like a sigh. This seems to be the fruit or result of the anger of God. Life passes away as rapidly as thought. It is so rapid, fleeting. The days are passed as quickly as sigh. It is an expression of sorrow. Sigh is expression of sorrow and weariness. So this has a particular reference to the people of Israel in the wilderness. When God has sworn in his wrath they should not enter into the promised land, but wander about in the wilderness of Sinai all their days in the wilderness and be consumed there so that their days manifestly passed away under visible marks of divine displeasure. So our days passed in your wrath, this applies literally on the people who died in the wilderness of Sinai. We finish our years like a sign. Verse 10. The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Moses left, do you know how many years? 120 years, according to Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 2 and chapter 34 verse 7. He did not say 70 years as either a limit or promise, but as insightful estimate of life span. And maybe people in wilderness, they died shorter than people who lived in the world. So in his eyes, he saw them living 70 or 80. So the emphasis is only on the futility of life. Even if one should live past the norm of 70 or 80, The end of it is what? Labor and sorrow. The best of it is labor and sorrow. Some of the church fathers focused on the spiritual meaning of this verse rather than the literal meaning. And say seventy denotes active life. We number our existence here by seven days of the week. So seventy because it's related to number seven, so it is the active life. Eighty a suggestion by the eighth day it's a beginning of new week or beginning of a new life the day of resurrection is the eighth day san augustine explained it according to his habit based on the mystical significance of the numbers augustine usually any number analyze this number so san augustine said 70 or 8 years equal 150 if you add 70 to 80 A number which the sun clearly implied to be a sacred one. Because 150 have the same relative signification as 15. And the latter number being composed of 7 and 8 together. The first of which the 7 points to the Old Testament through the observation of the Sabbath, the 7th day. And the 8 to the new covenant referring to the resurrection of the Lord so he said if you add 70 and 80 it is 150 150 is 15 multiplied by 10 but 15 is 7 and 8 7 old testament because keep the seventh day holy and 8 is the day of resurrection so that is the new covenant. and some explain 70 at 80 of the lives of Israel in the wilderness All those that were numbered when they came out of egypt above 20 years were to die within 38 years because they spent in the wilderness 40. Mm -hmm. so if they were above 80 20 20 and up were numbered so let's say the youngest of them were 20 and he left 40 years in the wilderness and they died before entering into the promised land so most of them died at age maximum by 60. So seventy and eight was more than the average. So they must have all died before eight years old. And those that lived to seventy or eighty, their life was nothing but labor and sorrow in the wilderness, moving from one place to another place. What men celebrate as a strength or vitality is really only trouble and toil. The point here, if one understands the futility of our life and the event of life, we think about eternity. So for example, see how many years you study from six years old and you graduate at the age of 22, 23. Some people maybe 25, 26 uh, after graduate school. So we can say between 15 and 20 years of study. And then you work for how many years Let us say from 25 until 65. So 40 years you study 20 years in order to work 40 years. How many years work hard for our eternal life? So that is the the message here. If we understand our life is vanity, it's not just negativity. No, it is to realize the reality of our life. It's nothing I'm not saying. You neglect our life and don't study and don't work. No, 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 no. But do your responsibility here on earth. But your mind is set on things above. As St. Paul said in Christian chapter 3, if you were raised with Christ, set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Clear? For it is soon cut off and we fly away. We fly away. Soon man's day are gone and they are gone verse 11 who knows the power of your anger for as the fear of you so is your wrath so Moses connected the ideas of a relatively short and frustrating time to the fact of God's righteous punishment and righteous judgment who can appropriately estimate the intensity of God's anger against such as have displeased him. Who can actually clearly and appropriately estimate God's anger against those who displease him? Who can possibly conceive the force, the power, and the effect of God's anger? No one can perfectly comprehend it. So Moses speaks as one afraid of God's anger and amazed at the greatness of the power of God's anger who knows how far the power of God's anger can reach and how deeply it can wound. That's why he said, it is for as the fear of you is your wrath. According to the magnitude of the fear in my heart, this is your wrath. He especially saw and lived this in the wilderness. It was not an easy journey. So the power of God's anger is expressed in his judgment on men. Like the flood was God's anger, the burning of Sodom and Gomorrah, God's anger, consumption of the Israelites in wilderness, all people who came out of Egypt died except two, or in the shortening the days of men. Then he said, for as the fear of you, so is your wrath, who knows God's wrath, so as to fear him. So who can appropriately estimate God's wrath in order to fear him? Who can fear God as he ought to be feared and in such fear to measure the extent of his anger? The word fear would here seem to refer to the reverence, reverence which is due to God. Verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom see why he's speaking about the number of his days to gain a heart of wisdom that's the purpose of this song so verse 12 may be taken in close connection with the preceding verse as the fear of you because the fear of god is the beginning of the wisdom so the beginning of wisdom requires the fear of god so make us know the number of our days. Make us know how to fear you. Give us the discernment that we lack to understand the vanity of our life and the eternity of your existence. When Moses considered the frail nature of humanity and the righteous judgment of God, it made him ask God for the wisdom to understand the shortness of life. So he prays to God that as he was pleased In his justice, to shorten the life of man, God shortened our life. So God may now, in his mercy, look down upon and help a man in his pilgrimage here on earth. Teach us means give us this wisdom, and we need to learn this wisdom. True wisdom not like the wise ones of this world, which puffs up and does not edify learning to number our days will give us a heart of wisdom this is wisdom not only for the mind but for the heart as well that's why he said a wise mind but a heart of wisdom number our days not merely to count them how many they are 70 80 90 there is no need for divine teaching for that anyone can number his days and not to know how long they shall live when he told him, teach us the number of our days. He's not asking God, let me know in advance how many years I will live. No. And when they will die. The Lord does not teach this, nor should we be concerned to know because the number of men days, months, and years is with the Lord. So what does he mean by numbering of our days? So the meaning of the prayer is, is that God would teach us the number of our days as if the present one was the last so today will be the last day if we lived each day in our life at the last day of our life definitely our life will be completely transformed men cannot boast of tomorrow because we don't own tomorrow their souls may be required of them before tomorrow so the sense is that God would teach men To meditate on shortness of their days. Let us understand how our days are short. That they are but as a shadow. And there is no enduring. Meditate on their vanity. Meditate on our sinfulness. That so men may not desire to live here always. When we know it is labor, toil, sinfulness. We will say with St. Paul, I have desire to be with Christ. This is forbidden. And Jesus' parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12 is a great example of this. He did not know the number of his days. He did not realize the shortness of his life. Then the last five verses, verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long, and have compassion on your servants. So this psalm is carefully considered the judgment of God from verse one, and yet his prayerful response to that consideration, was a plea to God for His presence, for His compassion, and for His mercy. So now He's saying, "I know Your judgment, I know Your wrath, I know Your anger. So return, O oh God. Until when? He does not pray for a prolonged life for Himself, like has asked for 15 years, but for some intervention in relief of the suffering, relief the suffering from us. So. He repeats the same prayer saying, Having been angry with us because of our sins, you have turned your face away from us. Turn to us now and look upon us with an eye of kindness. How long shall this continue? How long shall your wrath rage? By the way, this question, how long, is often asked in the Psalms. So Moses asked God not to delay. In bringing his presence, his compassion, his mercy to the people. As he said in verse, Return, O Lord, how long? Have compassion on your servant. Verse 14, O, satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. So, Moses asked God not to delay In Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3, this was the answer of God. Thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So Moses understood that the true satisfaction was not rooted in money, fame, pleasures, or even success or the long days. But satisfaction of life is rooted with God's mercy. God's faithfulness and God's covenant of goodness to his people. Nothing will satisfy the human heart except God. That's why he said, Satisfy us early with your mercy, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. So the Psalmist here asking God not only to take his wrath away from us, but to live all our days rejoicing in the Lord as the beloved of the Lord and the word early when we are young and flourishing as he said before so when we are young satisfy us early when we are in our young age that we may rejoice and be glad all our days but early could mean early in the morning there is no hour like that of the morning prime for fellowship with God So when we wake up in the morning and we pray, we'll be satisfied. So Moses prays for a new beginning early, which the Lord alone can unlock for his people. The beginning of a new season of favor. Every day will be like a beginning of a new season of favor. Many were the days of their affliction in the wilderness of Sinai. So Moses asked that the days of their gladness would be also many. As we read in verse 15, make us glad according to the days in which you have afflicted us, the years in which we have seen evil. So how many years and make us glad, you know, the same days or the same number of days. So he hoped that the days of gladness will be so long that God's glory would be evident even to their children. As we read in verse 16. Let your work appear to your servant and your glory to their children. So when you make us rejoice for a long time, then our children also will rejoice and will glorify you. So the psalmist seems to desire an equal number of the one as of the other, the days of affliction and the days of gladness. Not that an exact precise number of the one with the other is intended there is no proper proportion of one to another but according to Saint Paul our light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory and as Saint Paul also wrote in Romans 8:18, 8, I consider the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us let your work appear to your servant. Either the work of providence in conducting the people of Israel through the wilderness and bringing them into the promised land, which God had promised to do for them, especially for their posterity, and therefore their children are particularly mentioned here when they enjoy the promised land. Or the work of salvation in a prophetic way the work of salvation that will be fulfilled by jesus christ the covenant of grace knows only one work that of christ the special work of god is the salvation of man to be wrought out by christ so when he said let your work appear to your servant this a prayer for, for his coming and for his resurrection and his ascension and sending the holy spirit and the foundation of the church or we can say work in our souls work in your servant by your grace that we may do good work and bear the fruit of spirit let your work be so plain that others may see our good deeds and glorify our father in heaven let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify god in heaven God's servant cannot work for him. We cannot work for God unless God work in us to do and to will. So God give us the will, God give us the doing, then we can work for God. Last verse, verse 17. And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for us and yes, establish the work of our hands so earlier in this psalm Moses spoke of God's people being consumed and terrified now he is praying that the gracious God would exchange that misery consumed and terrified for his own beauty so the final aspect Moses prayed for was the perpetuity and stability of the work of God's people. Establish our work. Or work for hand. Good men are anxious not to work in vain. No one likes like to work in vain. They know that without the Lord. They can do nothing. And therefore they cry to him. For help in the work. And for acceptance of their efforts. So accept our efforts. And help us in our work. So Moses prays and asking God to do so by overseeing us, making us to work as we should, and always to follow that most correct rule, his will and his law. So establish our work for our hands, make us follow your will and your law. One cannot ask God to uphold and establish what he is doing in his life, if he is living sinful life. I cannot say to God, establish the work of my hand, While I'm working sinful life. So Moses was a great example of putting the interest of God ahead of the interest of himself. Moses suffered much for the Lord. He left the riches of Egypt to live in the wilderness and endure the criticism of the people. Moses was established by God because he trusted fully in the Lord through victories and through the difficulties. Let me conclude by Quote from St. Augustine when he said, Establish the work of our hands upon us, that we may do them not for the hope of earthly reward, for then they are not straight but crooked. The meaning of this verse, if we are to expound it, appears to me, St. Augustine is saying, that all our good works are one work of love, for love is the fulfilling of the law. This concludes Psalm 90. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.